and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Do you want to be more fulfilled? Do you want to know how to achieve lasting, positive transformation, abundance and empower your life? If you are not happy with where you are today and the repeating patterns that represent in your life over and over again, then a radical shift is what's required to help you make changes and live your life more on purpose. All you need to do is sign up to our email list. When you become a subscriber, we'll send you an online module on how to create radical paradigm shifts. It's our gift to you. To get you started on your journey or to help you leap to the next level of self-awareness and positive transformative change, simply enter your details at www.catherineplano.com forward slash newsletter. As a valued subscriber, you'll also receive access to exclusive content, members-only events, free access to online masterclasses, VIP treatment and discount tickets to events. We offer bonus content too, more advanced tips and tricks only available to subscribers. So what are you waiting for? As you know, it's my passion and purpose to help others to understand their own uniqueness and to unshamedly rock it to live lives they love. Whatever you're seeking, whether it's more money, more meaningful relationships, a more rewarding career, or just more satisfaction, it's all possible once you learn how to tap into your greatest potential. And why not get on board with this transformational movement by recommending a friend? Some do prefer to journey solo. Others love to share the experience with a mate. It's entirely up to you. We look forward to welcoming you on board. All you have to do is enter your details at www.catherineplanner.com forward slash newsletter. Well, this week I am super excited about this guest. Ricky Jane Adams is the principal of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence, a spiritual activist and intuitive expert. She trains women around the world as social conscious spiritual leaders. Ricky Jane is also the best selling author of Spiritually Fierce. Are you ready to surrender to your unlimited self? The spiritual geek has a doctorate from the University of Melbourne in magical realism. 
She has studied all the major religions, sat at the feet of gurus, read the sacred text, explored the metaphysical philosophies, practiced every kind of soul-shaking, awareness-raising energy tool and always come back to this. We are the power. Ricky Jane says the hardest thing in the world is to learn to become self-reliant. We have been taught to give away our power and all the good parts, the mystical parts, the ancient parts of all the world's philosophies and religions agree that when we come home to our own innate power, we have truly aced life. In all of her exploration of how to access this innate power, our infinite self, there is only one thing that has ever been able to do it for her, and that is intuition. Intuition can bring infinite power, wild abundance, and inevitable success. It's now time to tune into this very inspirational, intuitive intelligence. Enjoy. Well, this week I am super excited. I have a special, special guest for you, and we have Dr. Ricky Jane Adams. Welcome to I Am On Project. Thank you so much, my darling. So excited. So Ricky and I met only just last week, and um, uh, love her energy as much as I know that you will as well. And uh, as we always start with our woman of inspiration is to unpack her unique story. So Ricky Jane, tell us what inspired to um, for you to do what you do today and what's your story? Ah, what a great question. And, you know, I'm a storyteller. So we're just reflecting on the fact that we're talking about academia and my past in academia was as a as a playwright. I wrote my my thesis and around playwriting and I love telling stories. I think stories are what change people's minds and hearts more than theory or more than just straight up ideas. So you know, my my story of creating the Institute for me began with, I guess, like for a lot of people, a dark night of the soul. And, and interestingly, it was a kind of intersection of my dark night of the soul and my mother's dark night of the soul. And together, we sort of produced this cataclysmic moment in both of our timelines and, and changed the course of both our lives. So I was an academic at Melbourne University. I'd finished my PhD. I'd had a beautiful husband and two beautiful children and everything that I thought that I wanted, even though I'd been on my spiritual path all of my life, I thought that my career was going to take me into academia because my love of learning is is pretty robust and and I love being part of those sort of beautiful ivory tower institutions, but it, it just wasn't working for me. And I was medicated for anxiety. I was angry a lot of the time for no reason. The world just really pissed me off a lot. And I was blaming my spirituality. I was looking to my husband, who's a complete atheist, and he seemed really peaceful and really happy in himself. And I thought, well, spirituality must be the problem. So bugger that. I'm going to go be a muggle. I'm going to be an academic. I'm going to be a mum and a wife and I'm just going to get on with that life and I was getting more and more anxious more and more angry and more and more frustrated with my reality and it just didn't make sense so one day I was walking down by the creek with my dog and just you know having an ordinary fairly muted day that's sort of how life felt then I felt quite muted nothing was exciting me nothing was was stimulating me 
And my mum called to say that she'd just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Now, in that moment, what happened was her life flashed before my eyes. And I could see this great woman, this spiritual teacher, my first spiritual teacher, who'd never succeeded in turning her spiritual path into a robust career, even though she really wanted to. There were lots of reasons for that. But I could see in that moment her life could end in this really tragic way without her achieving that goal. And I took it upon myself in that moment to say, I, I will make your vision come into reality. And I said right there on the phone call, we're going to start an institute together. And at the time it was called Lightworker Institute. And, and that's it all just tumbled out of my mouth in that moment. Now, joyfully, that diagnosis was incorrect, and I hope that GP has been, you know, removed from being able to practice, but what came of it was an absolute blessing. My mum's brain is perfect and beautiful, and we started that institute together, and from that moment, that literal moment of like, like thunder or lightning entering into my being... I have been high as a kite. I have been on purpose. I realized that my suffering was coming from denying who I truly was. And as it turned out, I wasn't fulfilling my mother's vision. I was fulfilling my own. And I realized in that moment that it wasn't, it wasn't about making her dreams come true. It was really about bringing me, waking me up to the fact that I was trying to deny myself. So yeah, so that was, that was my origin story. That's how the Institute began. <laughs> Love it. So for our listeners, maybe talk us through, what is the dark night of the soul? This is, a, a, I guess, an archetypal pattern that repeats. And so an archetype is simply a pattern that repeats. And so we as humans tend to wake up or evolve through the same kind of um, pattern, even if the events in that pattern are different. So for one person, it might be the end of a marriage. For another, it might be, uh, you know, a really bad injury. For another, it might be sickness coming into the body. For another, it might be a death of a loved one. And these events bring you to your knees. But they're often when people describe that time, looking back on it in hindsight, that it was actually the moment that they woke up where they realized that they'd been on autopilot or that their life was was not anywhere near the vision that they held for themselves and and they truly began to appreciate and love and value their life now sometimes we struggle with that sometimes that dark night of the soul can go on for a really long time because we fight it we judge the events of our life as really bad but the more and more we can step into our spiritual maturity, the more we can see the events of our life as always being in service to us, always bringing us into a higher understanding and a deeper wisdom. So a dark night of the soul is usually when you're at the bottom of the barrel. You get to that place where it feels like you're hopeless. And in that place, it's like you're brought to your knees. There's nowhere else to go. You, there's, you can't fall any further. So you start to look up. Literally, you can't look in any other direction. And very often that's where if you like, if you look at it as a visual, it's like a, um, you know, it's literally like a dip, a valley that, that and the dark night is at the bottom of that dip. And then you start to come back up the other side. We can also think of this as the hero's journey to reference Joseph Campbell's work. But all of us have probably experienced a dark night of the soul. For some of us, it's cataclysmic. And for others, it's just a, a period of discomfort. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be traumatic, but it usually comes with some kind of trauma. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned before, 
anxiety um, and I know that for myself that was my my definitely the dark night of the soul a woman who's in complete control and it happened probably about 2011 in New York where I had a full-on which I thought at the time was a heart attack but I had a panic yeah. attack yeah. Um, and then he was taken to hospital I'd never ever heard of the word panic attack yeah. and it wasn't until I returned to Melbourne that that year was uh, repeating events of anxiety and uh, it definitely uh, put me to my knees. Uh, but I looked at that. I think the more I was trying to run away from it, the worse it got. And it was only yep. when I was integrating with it, embracing it and saying you're a gift that now I'm going to listen to you every time you come up or you pop your head up, I know it's time for Catherine to slow down. How did yeah. you work with your anxiety? Well, look, I I absolutely agree with you. It was a powerful messenger for me. And it was, you know, it had been with me, I can see now all of my life, and I'd use different strategies, um, you know, to try and manage it, manage it, like in my 20s, lots of drinking and, you know, things that were unhealthy behaviors, but were trying to cope with this. And when I, as you did, came to face it and actually realized that this was a messenger, all fear, in my opinion, is a messenger. And anxiety is simply a face of fear. Usually with anxiety, we experience it because we're arguing with reality. So what we're, what we're doing is, is really, really far away from, from what we actually are. So it's like pulling a, an elastic band too tight. And, and when it pulls to the point where it can't take it anymore, it snaps. And that's where we might experience something like like a panic attack. But it's an ally. It's saying, hey, Catherine, or hey, Ricky Jane, you've simply forgotten your true nature. Let's come back to the truth of what you are. And maybe in your case, as it was in mine, you need to slow down. You need to stop pretending that you're a muggle. You need to stop thinking that you can avoid this bigger picture, this bigger purpose of your life. And so it was very humbling for me, but I agreed um, to go on uh, Zoloft, which is a, a, a I guess it's a antidepressant and it actually changed my life because I was only on it for a year and in that year is when my mother called me and my life changed forever and I I'll never say this is the best way to handle anxiety or this is the best way to handle it for me everything is of god or everything is of of that benevolent universe so for me it got my head straight it got me out of my my overwhelm and within a year of starting it I could come off it because it course corrected me back to my purpose I also worked with all of my tools and I actually went on to create a program um, which is now called the initiate program which was all of the spiritual tools that I applied to bring in a systematic daily devotion because I realized that it was me trying to pretend that I'm not a spiritual being that was the primary cause of my anxiety I was trying to be a human and I am more divine than I'm human as we all are and it was it was actually the cause of my suffering so you know, when I looked at Zoloft as a gift from God and not as, oh my God, I failed, or this is the medical industry or the pharmaceutical industry trying to kill me or dumb me down or whatever the conspiracy theory is, and actually said, I accept this into my body as a holy gift and I will receive it in the highest possible way. You know, everything changed for me. Oh, that's amazing. I love the way that you described that. That was um, very different to what I've heard uh definitely in the past so for our listeners let's talk a little bit about your institute you have an institute of intuitive intelligence yes. uh, talk us through that because I think that's one of those things that 
I think, in this day and age that we don't use often because we are caught in this rut. I call it the vortex or the matrix going super fast. So talk us through intuition. What is uh, intuitive intelligence? Well, intuition and intuitive intelligence are actually, in my understanding, two, two different things. So intuition is innate, inborn, sixth sense. We all have it. It's rudimentary. It's about gut instinct. It's survival. Life protects life. You know, we're actually built with a system that is designed to protect us from danger. And that is bigger than just our, you know, what our five senses can tell us. That instinct to know, don't get in that car with that man or don't walk around that corner. This is part of just our biology, but we, we're so disenfranchised from it that we think it's woo-woo. And it's actually just biology because we are electromagnetic beings who are picking up signals from our environment all of the time. And this is just science, but we're suspicious of anything that's not through the dominant five senses. So we cut ourselves off from this very, very powerful source of information that's being fed to us through our biology, through these electromagnetic impulses. Um, The signals that we can pick up from other people, for example, that instant recognition of I like you or I don't like you, you know, we talk ourselves out of our intuition all of the time. But imagine if we trusted it. Imagine how great our life would be. So that's intuition. That's just what we are entitled to by, by our birth. This, is, this should be what we teach our children to develop. But like all things within us, if we don't know we have it or we don't know how to develop it, it remains dormant within us. So when we start to become interested in intuition and we start to develop it, and I'll tell you my way of doing that, which is quite different to how it's taught generally, we can switch it on and we switch it on to become intuitive intelligence, which is not just I have intuition, but I have intuition, I am developing it, I trust it and I act upon it. You see how much more developed that is than just, okay, yes, I might know how to get the best car park or I might, you know, be able to check in and know if my kid's safe. This is actually where we live and breathe in a co-creative partnership with that higher intelligence that's always guiding us, which is also science. That's quantum physics, that there is an inherent interconnectedness between all life, that that one mind or that um, quantum field that we are all a part of. Is, is actually the reason why intuition works and it's and it's part of our, once again, our inborn nature. So there's a lot in that, but I'd love for you to, to tell me what you want to hear more about. Oh, this could go in many directions. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, definitely, and I know just from the other day when we had a bit of a chat when I was saying, so intuitive, is that like a gut feeling? And then you actually explained, no, it was it was higher than that, it was really more yes. of, a, you know, greater than that. Would you like to talk us through that? I'd love to because I think this is the key for us understanding. Unless we understand the science of intuition, we will dismiss it as new age woo-woo. And when we ghettoize this, we are removing ourselves from one of, if not the greatest power that we possess. So there's three levels of intuition. And this research comes from HeartMath Institute, which is a US-based organization that, that is pioneering research into understanding uh, this kind of science. The, the, the kind of intuition that I just talked about is that, that energetic sensitivity, so the biological functioning where we are electromagnetic beings picking up signals from the, the environment around us, including other people, but also from trees, from the desk. Everything is producing a field that's communicating with our field. This is just our biology. But people will often think of that as being highly sensitive or empathic. And I want to say, yes, you might be highly sensitive and empathic, but so are 7 billion other people 
people on the planet because it's literally how we are made. The thing is, we don't know that's what it is. So we think it's a vulnerability when, in fact, if we trained it, it would become our superpower. The next form of intuition is called implicit knowledge. This is also biological, as in you learned something maybe 20 or 30 years ago and you're having a conversation with a friend and she says, oh, blah, 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 I'm having so much trouble with this situation. And instantly into your consciousness drops the memory of a book that you read those 30 years ago and you go, oh, my God, you need to read this book by such and such. And you're like, where did I pull that from? And that's a form of intuition. But it's, it's still biological. It's still something that's innate within you. The kind of intuition that gets me excited and what I train uh, my students in is called non-local intuition. And if you like, this is where, in, <clears throat> excuse me, this is where intuitive intelligence begins. Non-local simply means that, that non-locality is a quantum physics idea that we don't have to be in the same time-space location as the information that we're accessing in order to access it. And it's a causal. In other words, I don't have to read and study every book on a particular subject in order to reach the information that I need. It simply enters into me beyond the laws of time and space as we understand them from a Newtonian physics perspective. So non-local intuition is where you know what you could not or should not know based on where you are in your life or in the world or your prior experience. It's not deductive or um you know, logical, making lists, researching, analysis. It's simply that it, information is entering into you that you can access because of that inherent interconnectedness of all life or what we call the one mind or that, that quantum field. Everything is in that field. Everything exists inside of that field. And we can train ourselves by learning how to use our consciousness to place our attention Perhaps you're sitting with a client, they don't know how to resolve a particular life situation, and you tune in non-locally to that intuitive intelligence, and you can create resonance with your client and receive information for them that is, that is bigger than what you could know just based on what they've told you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm covered in goosebumps here. So the question I have is how does one access a non-local intuition? Yeah. That's a great question. So unlike implicit knowledge and energetic sensitivity, which is biological, non-local intuition is premised on this idea that we're accessing information that is part of that, that bigger field, that, that one mind is the term that I use. Greg Braden calls it the divine matrix. Lynn McTaggart calls it the field. But it is a scientific truth that there is a field that we and the entire cosmos exist within. So we need to learn how to connect to that. Now, this is actually a sort of a paradoxical statement because we're always connected to it because we're part of it. It's, it's impossible for us to be not connected to it. But we have blocks to that connection. And those blocks are, drumroll please, fear. So why is fear the block to us knowing that, that inherent interconnectedness and being able to hear, see, feel or experience all the information we need in any given moment. Well, that's because intuition is actually a function of the heart. It's not a function of the third eye as we're often taught in spirituality. The third eye has a role, but it's like the periscope of the heart. 
what Heart Math Institute have demonstrated is the heart, and I'm talking about your anatomical heart here, my darling. I'm not talking about your metaphysical chakra, although that plays a part in it, of course. Your anatomical heart actually contains a cluster of 40,000 neural cells, which are exactly the same cells as that you have in your analytical brain. But this cluster of cells, which heart math called the heart brain, is precognitive. And what I mean is that it receives information from that one mind prior to the information being received by the cranial brain. So the entry point to the one, from the one mind to us as individual pieces of that one mind is the heart. The heart produces the largest electromagnetic field of any part of the body. And heart math have completely disproven the idea that the heart is simply a muscle that pumps blood around the body. It is actually the source of our highest intelligence. And that that heart brain sends more information to the cranial brain than the other way around. In fact, there's a neural superhighway between the heart brain and the cranial brain. Once that information is received by the cranial brain, it then sends out the chemical hormonal signals to the body to respond. And HeartMath have done some incredible studies to demonstrate this, that the heart is receiving information from that field, from the quantum field, before that information is actually known to the cranial brain. And I'd love to share a study with you if you'd like to hear it of how HeartMath have proven this. I'd love it. So HeartMath Institute used a particular technique that they called heart coherence, which is a very simple practice I can share with you, which is one of the most powerful ways to increase our connection to that heart coherent state and therefore to the one mind and as such our intuition. This, the, the subjects were all wired up to all of the kind of biological indicators, their heart rate, their um, heart rate variability, the, uh, you know, the, what measures the skin dilation, and they were wired up and sat in front of a computer. The computer was going to randomly generate and flash up images that would evoke a strong emotional reaction, either positive or negative. What happened was, quite remarkably, is that the heart brain received that information six seconds prior to the computer even selecting which image it would show. So the heart brain was already responding in accordance with the image and that information was then sent to the cranial brain, which responded three seconds before the image flashed up on the screen. And by the time the image appeared on the screen, the body was already having the physiological response to that image. Wow. Yeah. That's super amazing. It is super amazing because what this shows us is that there is this field of information that contains all time and space, which is all there, ever present in the now. And therefore, the, not only are we able to access all information about everything all at once, but it's the heart that is the conduit to that information, not the cranial brain. It's the heart that receives that information. And, and I interviewed Howard Martin, who's the CEO of heart math recently and he shared with me something that blew my mind is that that six second time measure is arbitrary basically the the scientists simply had to pick a measure of time in order to you know have a have be able to have a protocol for the the experiment so there's nothing to say that that information couldn't have been accessed three days before or five minutes before or two lifetimes before <laughs> it's simply the intentionality where we place our consciousness we can access information a causally without cause and effect. Yeah. Yes. We we simply have to learn how to train our consciousness, and this is truly what the science of intuition is. 
So how do we train our consciousness? Because I know you were talking about that we are plugged in. It's just the only thing that gets in our way or blocks that flow is fear. Yes. So there's two there's two parts here. I'd love to sort of really unpack how do we train our consciousness to tune into this non-local uh, in, in yep. intuition, which yep. I know is fear uh, that blocks it. But then how do we – because there's so many people – I can't remember. I think it's called The Emotional Code where the, the yep. gentleman – I can't remember the author, but he was talking about how we've got walls around our heart from, uh, you know, uh, significant emotional events that have taken place over a lifetime. Yes. And it's how you break down those barriers to then open up your heart. Absolutely, and that's a that's a very important work that you've referenced there, the emotion code. And um, it's it's absolutely the truth is that we use our life experiences as a reason to shut down our heart, and we think that just keeps us safe. That's what the ego is telling us. We if if I've been hurt before, I'm not going to leave myself vulnerable, so I become jaded or I become cynical and I lose my innocence and my heart shuts down. Now we might just think in a normal paradigm, oh, well, that means that person's a bit bitter. But now what we're discovering is that we're actually, that shuts us down from our intuitive intelligence. So our capacity to hear, see, feel, or know that infinite one mind, that that inherent interconnectedness is blocked by our ego believing it's protecting us by making us you know, hold on to the past. So this is where the work of people like Joe Dispenza also comes in, because what he tells us is that if we are simply running on autopilot from the subconscious program, from all of those experiences that we've had in this lifetime that give us evidence that it's not safe to be in our heart, that love is dangerous, that we'll be hurt. If we stay in that state of unforgiveness, we are going to just be on autopilot and we are never present. So intuition is present timeness. You can't be running a, you know, in a loop on the past if you want to access your intuitive intelligence very powerfully. So how do, we do, how do we clear that? How do we make ourselves available to the present? Well, we have to forgive. Forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness and gratitude are the keys because they're two sides of the same coin, yeah? Yes. We, can't, we can't forgive. We can't feel gratitude for our life if we haven't forgiven the events of our life. It's simply not possible. So this is quantum gratitude. This is radical forgiveness. We're not talking about making a nice gratitude list each day for the things that make you happy. How can you be in gratitude for the things that you think went wrong? How can you be in gratitude for the things that caused you pain and suffering? And and that's how we truly get to a place of forgiving the events of our life so that we can access the energy of this incredible heart brain and feel and experience and know that inherent interconnectedness. So true because I think that with any experience, and if you want to label it uh, negative, I think that's where, you know, if I look at my life, some of those, the most horrid times have been the most amazing times, the most times where I have grown the most. And I'm always grateful for those experiences. I always, regardless of how hard they've been, I always say I'm so grateful that I have experienced because I wouldn't be the woman I am today. Yeah, but for most of us, you know, that that's evidence of your what I call spiritual maturity and also your spiritual self-esteem that you're willing to trust 
You're willing mm. to trust your life. And that takes practice, yeah? You didn't start out that way necessarily. No. And it's really the formula for accessing our intuition. People don't want to know that though, Catherine. They want to know that there's a crystal they can buy or there's a lamp they can sit under that's going to decalcify their pineal gland or that some, somebody outside of them or something outside of them can do the work for them. And, and it's such bullshit. And it's where we buy into the belief that intuition is about being able to go to a psychic and ask them to answer the questions of your life. If all time and space exists at once, which is what we are being shown by quantum physics, if you go to a psychic to hand over your power and they answer a question for you, they actually set that path in motion. Because where we place our consciousness is where our energy goes. Yes, we know this. So if you do that, you're absolutely letting someone else tell you the story of your life. The other thing that tells us the story of our life is repeating the stories of our life to ourselves until they become so real that our body becomes addicted to them, that we are no longer running in present time. We're constantly running a, a loop in a loop of our past. And that's why this, this idea, as you're saying, is so important of truly getting on board with the experiences of your, your life and forgiving them first so that you can then have gratitude for them. Once we do that, we begin to reawaken or rehumanize our heart. And that, that opening of the heart, the metaphysical heart and the heart brain is what allows us to connect to the truth of what we are. I want to talk about that for a moment because there's another reason why people are terrified of opening to their intuitive intelligence. They will have to accept that they were not the victims of their life. Mm. And that power terrifies people. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's it very often we'll pretend that we can't hear our intuition because it means we never have to step into our power. Mm. That one really resonates with me. And it's interesting because I've done a lot of uh, work over my time and I know that for my experience uh, rather than blaming circumstances it was going higher than that and understanding that my soul chose this life for me to experience exactly what I was experiencing yeah absolutely Mm. but once again you know that that perspective can only come through practice and Mm. through devotion and so for me you know to open to intuitive intelligence is a path of devotion. You need to want it because you want to know yourself as infinite, unlimited consciousness, not so that you've got a cool party trick that you can use to get a rock star car park. You know, it's about being in that spiritual maturity that it's, it is going to be a daily choice. Am I willing to meet myself as that unlimited consciousness that I am and accept that the events of my life are always serving me? And for many people, it's it's a choice that's too big a responsibility to carry. Mm, absolutely. So I have a, another just uh, another question, Ricky Jane, just in regards to training our consciousness because we're very much living at that. Um, you know, I I think that we just run these programs over and over, over these programs that leave in that deeper uh, part of our mind, the unconscious mind. What are some of the practices that we can apply on a daily basis to become more conscious, therefore train our consciousness? Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. You know, the thing is, it's not our conscious reasoning mind that's telling the story of our life. If it was, we'd all be, you know, billionaires living on cruise ships and traveling around the world with, with you know, client lists sold out for six months. And that's what we don't tend to understand is it's the subconscious program that we need to access and alter. And so that has to be done. The, the subconscious cannot be accessed through ordinary brainwave states. We actually need to get into a theta brainwave state. 
most of the time we are in an incoherent high beta brainwave state, which is that state of fight or flight. We're very stressed. We're running around like headless chooks, thinking that means we're successful and wondering why we can't hear our bloody intuition because we're doing everything opposite to the conditions that allow intuition to flourish. So for me, when I train women as, and I call them priestesses of consciousness because that's really what we're training, we begin by learning how to alter our brainwave state. And once again, Joe Dispenza's work does this as well. And it's very powerful because he's got all the cool machinery that shows you how people can learn to do this and what the brain in a theta brainwave state looks like. To begin that process, though, all you have to do is be prepared to have time each day in silence, stillness and solitude. And when you do that, meditation is one of the best ways to do that. You begin to train yourself to move out of that incoherent beta brainwave state and move into the theta brainwave state, which is also where we are just before we fall asleep, which is why we need to sit up when we meditate, because if you're lying down, you're just going to lose consciousness. What happens when we get to that state of, of, of brainwave is that we open the door to the subconscious and then we get to get in there and start to fiddle around and rewrite the program and that's what we want yeah we can't change our minds at the superficial level because we've all tried that we've all said i will go on a diet and lose six kilos and never eat the chocolate and two minutes later we're eating the chocolate because we never met the fear why am i eating the chocolate well you're eating the chocolate because of the subconscious fear program if you just try to make a decision not to eat the chocolate without looking at what's motivating that decision to do something harmful to yourself you won't change anything so we need to get into the subconscious to rewire the programs and look at fear and this is the the long answer but here's the the, the punchline meet your fear every damn day and how do we do that well first of all we have to slow down enough to realize when we're in fear because fear is not just when you're terrified because you see something scary on the news or in the street or someone bangs on the front door and you're not expecting them. Fear is low-level anxiety. Fear is constant stress. Fear is waking up just with a funny, uncomfortable feeling and not knowing what it is. Fear is all of those things plus those big epic panic attacks and those moments of absolute terror when you see your kid running across the road without looking. So when we understand the true nature of fear, we can recognize that we are mostly in a fear state a lot of the time. And if we saw fear as a friendly ally, we would recognize that we're getting information all of the time to help us. And I, I can talk through how to meet our fear, if you like. I would love that. Yeah. I'm, I know I'm talking a lot. But, you oh, know. <laughs> no. I, I just absolutely love it. I think, I think one question before we go into the fear. Mm. So you're saying we basically have to – our brain has to be at theta. Um, yeah. And I know that there's binaural beats where you can actually listen to uh, binaural beats that gets your brain to a theta state while you're meditating and therefore yeah. you can set an intention and, you know, wh whether it's meeting your fear or – so are you saying that this theta – uh, brainwave is our way to access our intuitive intelligence to then rewire the, our brain uh, yeah, and meet how, our fear. It's how we get into the subconscious because yep. the subconscious is not accessible through ordinary waking states. Mm. Uh, you know, we have to alter our state of consciousness. And this is what we mostly don't give ourselves time to do. Yes, you can listen to binaural beats, but you know what I'm all about. Yes. You don't need anything outside of you. Yeah. You can do this. But like all things, it's going to take a level of devotion and discipline. And we don't want that. We want someone to tell us that there is a meditation that we can listen to that's going to do the work for us or that we just have to go to the particular psychic who's got the mad skills and they'll do it for us. <laughs> you know, this is a daily choice. Mm -hmm. Do I want to be a bigger, more empowered, more incredible, supercharged version of myself? Or do I want to sit in my own fear? And many of us will choose the latter because we 
we are afraid of of the commitment to 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 those practices to showing up so we can train ourselves to move into that theta brainwave state and we may not immediately be able to get there but it's simply a commitment and every time you make a choice it gets easier right and it really is just about stillness silence and solitude if those qualities are not part of your everyday then you actually will never be able to create the conditions where you can rewire your subconscious and get better access to your intuitive intelligence but here's the thing we see our fear as the problem and we run from our fear and we run from our fear through picking fights with our partner through creating emotional chaos in our friendships through eating all the cake through you know addiction to drugs and alcohol you know we create chaos for ourselves as a way to avoid meeting our power what if we instead every time we felt fear especially when that fear was small and insignificant we sat down and we said what have you got to tell me because fear is a friendly messenger driving us back towards our infinite nature saying, hey, something's gone wrong here. You've forgotten that your infinite consciousness, you're unlimited in every way. Can I please bring you home to yourself? So waking up in the morning, for, the, for example, you just have this low level anxiety. You just feel off. You don't know why. Normally we'd get up, we'd down three cups of coffee to hope that that feeling would go away. If not, by the middle of the morning, we're probably eating cake. You know, then we're, you know, indulging in some kind of emotional drama at work in order to avoid thinking about what we're feeling. Then we're mindlessly scrolling on Facebook just to avoid looking at that feeling again. We come home, we plug into the TV, we watch shit till midnight and then go to bed. And that's our day. We've spent the entire day avoiding what we're really feeling. Instead, my recommendation, and we can share a link to a guided meditation where people can do this for themselves, is you go into that fear and you ask it some questions. And the first thing you ask it is, what is this? How does this fear feel on a scale of one to 10? Um, and that, that gives us a way of actually getting a handle on this. Okay, so it might be low level anxiety, but it might actually, when you tune in, have been there for so long that you've just got familiar with it. And actually, when you stop to tune in, you're like, oh, my God, this is a nine. I, I am living at a nine out of 10 for discomfort and, and fear in my body. And I've just learned to accommodate that. That's not good. Mm. So I want to change that. So the next thing you do is you go in and you close down your eyes. You place your hand over your heart. You deepen your breath. These are all signals to your nervous system that you're safe. You're not being chased by a bear because mostly we're in fight or flight and therefore we don't deeply breathe because that only happens when we're back into our um, parasympathetic nervous system. And we slow everything down. And we just sit in that stillness for a few minutes. And then you ask the question, what's deeper than that fear? What's deeper than that feeling of anxiety? And this is where you let your non-local intuition speak to you. And you might suddenly hear the words, fear of abandonment. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? I just woke up feeling a bit rubbish today and now I'm hearing fear of abandonment? And then you just sit with that truth, that truth that's emerged from your subconscious because your subconscious is accessible because you've altered your brainwave state. And it's telling you what actually has been motivating you for the last, say, 20 years of your life is a fear of abandonment. And then you sit with that truth and you don't try to work it out because the ego wants to know the story. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we don't try to attach a story to this. We don't try to figure out who abandoned us or where this began or why. We simply sit with the truth that has now come up out of the subconscious basement, is now able to be reprogrammed. And then we reprogram it. And we do this by going into high vibrational feeling states of gratitude and compassion for that fear. 
thank God that something that was in the darkness is now in the light. And we simply hold ourselves in that state of gratitude. And then we come out of that and we rate that fear again. And almost always that number will have come down significantly. That, that's a practice that I call the micro message that I developed in my institute. And I'd love to share that meditation with your listeners because it's, it's a game changer. Wow, that's amazing. I'm writing heaps of notes here so that I myself am going to give it a go, but that's fantastic. I would love for uh, if you to share that, absolutely. And I'm sure our listeners would love that too. So, Ricky Jane, we always uh, love to ask a woman of inspiration, what would be a, a piece of advice that you would like to leave for our listeners if they wanted to embark on a new path, a new career, a new life? Because there's a lot of content. You've got so much. What would be that one thing that they could start with, do you think? Oh, you know, well, of course, the micro method will be an amazing thing. If you're, if you're on the precipice of change, fear will rise because our ego is terrified of change. So it will tell you something's gone wrong. So do that practice. But, but the real thing I want to say is be comfortable with getting uncomfortable because that your discomfort is evidence that things are changing and you've been calling in that change. You've been desperate for that change, but because the ego reads change as a fearful thing, you're going to start to believe that the change that you're being guided to make is wrong. And this is where I want you to sit in that discomfort fearlessly and just back yourself up because nothing will change unless you give yourself permission to get uncomfortable. If everything is comfortable all of the time, there's a very good chance that you're just on autopilot Mm. and you're actually numb rather than comfortable. So don't abort on your plans and your vision midway through the process just because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Go, go with that discomfort because it's leading you to that new place that you've been calling in. And it's okay to get uncomfortable. It's in fact the, where the gold is. And if we learn to not be afraid of fear, then we're going to see how we can work with that fear as a friendly messenger. And that changes everything. It sure does. I always say that if we can face fear, and I always look at fear as a bridge. Uh, a bridge uh, takes, you know, once again, working with courage, coming from the heart, understand that the fear is a gift because once you go through that doorway that's that's where like you said the gold is i love that the you've had an amazing adventure an amazing life and amazing amazing journey what's been one of your greatest lessons that you have learned along your way oh golly (laughs) that is a good question oh you know for me the biggest learning of my life is to live to live that space of what if there is no problem so this was a i have this tattooed on my arm in fact this question because it's so important to me is is to stop problematizing the events of my life because i recognized you know i am a scorpio in my teens and 20s i lived a very chaotic what i called a passionate life but i realized i was just creating chaos so that i felt a lot of things deeply and And I problematized my life and to learn to break the addiction to seeing everything as a problem and actually getting on board with the idea that maybe what if there is no problem? What if everything is working on my behalf has been just a true gift to my life? And in fact, I wrote an article about this and it's, it's had over 130,000 views. It's been shared over 6,000 times. It's, it seems to resonate deeply with people, this idea of, 
disconnecting from the chaos and the drama and that's where I met my power and that's the only reason that I could start the institute and and train women as spiritual leaders is because I disconnected from the need for my life to be constant chaos Mm. I'm the same I have a similar thing and there is no such thing as problems Everything is an opportunity and I think it's the meaning we give it. So once we go into that mindset that, wow, this is an opportunity, it helps you lean into it rather than this is a problem and you get stuck in it. Absolutely, Mm. yeah. But once again, it takes discipline and commitment. You've got to make a choice and it's not going to happen the first time necessarily. You've got to keep making that choice. True. The other question I have for you is uh, you're a mother of two, you have an institute, And I believe, and this is once again my belief, that we all have pain points. What would be one of your pain points in business that you stumble across and how do you work through it? What's your solution? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't think in the language of pain points. So I, I need you to give me an example. What, what might be a pain point for you? And then I'll think about, cause I'm sure I have them. I just don't mm. think in that way. A pain point for me is uh, I don't know how to say no. So I say yes to everything and then find myself because I, 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 I think this, everything that I do, I love and yes. therefore I never work a day in my life. Yes. But there's, there's, there's a bit of a, 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 a you know, a danger to that is, you know, you work, 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 you get overwhelmed and then you have no time for you. So my pain point is I have to learn to say no more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, and such a great, once again, it's, you know, what if there's no problem? How cool is that? Because you've got that beautiful gift. I guess for me, my pain point has been how to balance uh, the yearning of my soul and, and the giant purpose that I feel is is the reason I'm here with the mundane and the domestic and the boring chores of motherhood and wifing and all of that. And I'm not particularly good at it, but I have learned to back myself up and I've learned to prioritize getting in the support that I need. So for a lot of women who are on this entrepreneurial path, it can be a constant feeling of, of anxiety or being in two places at once, having that divided heart. And for me, I had to really work on giving myself permission that my mission is big and I'm not going to shy away from that just because I'm also a wife and mother. So the very biggest thing I wanted was financial success so that I could, you know, I have a cleaner, I have a nanny, I, I outsource a lot of the domestic stuff so that I can stay committed to my vision. And I stopped cooking and I stopped, you know, I stopped doing a lot of the things that were not able to fit into my schedule, but it took a lot of pain, I guess, to get to the point where I could give myself permission for that. And everybody thrives, you know, we've all found a higher order in our home and, you know, everyone adapted. It's now everybody's happy because mum is happy. So I guess that for me has been a really big journey and it still comes up because I go away a lot. Um, for work and that's not going to change but I've learned how to not be afraid of of that dual role that I play that's awesome because I think that's really important not to have and I we've had lots of women on the show there's this level of guilt if you outsource things like I mean I could have a clean for the house and you know I bits and pieces I outsource because I would rather spend my energy where it's going to have the greatest impact Absolutely. And look at what's your hourly rate versus, you know, I can pay someone 30 bucks an hour to clean my house. My hourly rate's $500. Yeah. Why would I clean my own house? Like, mm. <laughs> I just, it's, it's just pure economics when you look at it that way. But it's, it's the guilt that mother guilt is a huge one. And it's so redundant because it robs us of our creative energy. It's, it's okay for us to be breaking the mold of yeah. what, what mothering and parenting and wifing is. 
Mm, so true. On the show, we actually have a lot of women in business, lots of entrepreneurs. What do you think would be a reason that most individuals fail to succeed in business? I actually think we're very afraid of doing the work. And, mm. you know, I I am probably like you. I'm quite addicted to what I do. It's so joyful that I never feel like it's work. Some days it's bloody hard. But that doesn't mean that I don't show up. And I show up in, you know, in the first few years of my business, I was like a, a, a possessed woman. I was absolutely committed to my success. And I had a very clear vision. I had the big picture vision, but I also had very practical 3D reality kind of visions. My first goal, for example, was to earn more money than my husband. And that goal motivated me so powerfully that I did it, you know, within two years. It, it's, it's absolutely about backing yourself up and saying no two things like I you know if you said do you want to have coffee I'd be like Catherine we got to schedule that six months from now because I I don't give my time away easily even though I'd love to hang out with you you know <laughs> be protective of your time yeah. prioritizing your work and and being consistent I mean that's so boring that consistency word but you know it if we're not consistent in our creation it's like a tiny baby that some days we pick up and feed and other days we don't like mm. that baby is not going to flourish that's so true, absolutely, and I think that's very important Like what you're saying. I mean, that's one of the things I'm still learning is how to say no without feeling guilty because I want to help everyone. Yeah, no, I'm really good at it. You should hang mm. out with me. I'll, yeah, I'll... I'm going to. <laughs> I think so. I love it. So the other thing that we love to ask our woman of inspiration is to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my darling? Oh, that's easy, glorious. That oh. is that is my word and all my women are trained in seeing it. If you hear a woman using that word, she's probably be hanging out with me. <laughs> I love it. Yes, you are glorious. Absolutely. Beyond glorious. <laughs> the other thing we love to ask our woman of inspiration is to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? Okay. Make friends with your fear. That's, that's it. That's, I mean, I'm going to try and think of two more, but make friends with your fear, be okay with not being approved of and become so self loving that everything you need, you can find within yourself. Oh, I love that. I love making friends with fear and be okay. Not, uh, you know, not being approved. I think that's a big one for a lot of our listeners. I think they're going to really uh, resonate with that. How does one be okay by not being approved? Well, you've got to be self-approving. I mean, that's yep, the antidote that's is that yep. if you if you are self-approving, when someone comes up to you and says, Catherine, everything you do is rubbish. I don't like anything you've got to say. You're, you're taking up time in the world and blah, blah, blah. And you say, that's a really interesting perspective. Thank mm. you. But you, nothing changes for you because you're not looking outside of you to figure out if what you're doing is good. This is leadership. Yep. Leadership means you're at the front. It means that there isn't anyone there to pat you on the back and, and, and you know, give you the cookies for doing your job. It's like you're either on this mission because you've chosen this path or you're not on it. And if you're asking for someone else to give you permission to be on this path or tell you you're doing a good job, you'll be waiting a long time because not everyone's going to like you. Mm, I love that. Absolutely love that. So, Ricky Jane, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? 
Well, the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence.com is the website for my institute. And I have a beautiful group on Facebook called I Am Spiritually Fierce. My book is Spiritually Fierce, and um, we talk a lot about what that means. It's very much what we've been talking about devotion, discipline, commitment to showing up to yourself as the power, not giving away your power. Um, so that's a beautiful, generous space. There's about 5,000 members in there now. Um, and of course, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all those fun things as well. Oh, Ricky Jane, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I have written, I don't know how many pages worth of content right now, <laughs> listening listening to you speak. You're awesome. I absolutely love you, love your energy, and I know our listeners will reach out to you. You're amazing. Thank you once again for your time, your energy, and sharing your wisdom. Thank you, my darling. It's an absolute joy to know you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift. Where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care of yourself.